0: Hey there listeners, so uh, we've got a great show for you guys today. Today we are talking to Gerardo Lopez, uh, we call him G-Lo in the show because the boys are having a bit of trouble rolling the R. He's a Mexican mountaineer, now living in Australia, and uh, he's a really interesting guy. So Gerardo started, uh, started climbing at the age of 12, and he's also... Um, He's also conquered some of the greatest mountains all around the world, including Mount Everest. So in this particular podcast, this is a two-part podcast. This is the first part. We've decided to split it up for you guys. Instead of having a two-hour long, two-hour 15 podcast, we're going to give you two one-hour podcasts and see how it works. Uh, We just want to see. We're still in the feeling out process of what's best for Adventure Radio and for the listeners, more importantly. So this is part one. So today, we basically talked to him about the summit of Mount Everest itself. We talked to him about the experience before uh, Mount Everest, all the experience that he had to go through to get up to the level where he could attack um, Mount Everest. And we also talked to him about an equipment malfunction that uh, that ended up uh, resulting in him in climbing Mount Everest without supplemental oxygen, which is pretty crazy to do. So Gerardo is a great, very highly engaging guest. You guys are going to love it. Okay, so... But before we do, we have to go through our sponsors. So this podcast is brought to you by CrossFit Active Kincunda. CrossFit Active Kincunda is a CrossFit gym on the central coast of New South Wales. It was opened in February 2014. And it's uh, it's an arm of a really successful group of CrossFit affiliates. CrossFit Active have three gyms in Sydney, all very highly reputable. And uh, Mitch uh, Burton and his lovely partner, Aaron, are from that CrossFit Gym. They're my uh, uh, AdventureFit uh, New South Wales reps. So www.crossfitactive.com.au forward slash kincumber for uh, more details there. This podcast is also brought to you by Loxam Solutions. Loxam is a boutique consulting and business support company focused on business consulting and commercial services. The key to their success has been through the pragmatic approach of... uh, uh, Sorry, the key to their success has been through the application of a pragmatic approach combined with entrepreneurial spirit to achieve their clients' outcomes. Their philosophy is simple, deliver well-defined measurable business outcomes to their clients through the engagement of subject matter experts with real-world experience. They can be found at www.locksam-solutions.com.au. This podcast is also brought to you by NDO Supps, No Days Off Supplements. NDO Supps is a great supplement company uh, that Mac uses They've got a bunch of copy here that, uh, that, they, that I got off their website because they didn't send us any copy to read. So I'm not going to read it out. I'm just going to tell you guys that Mac, my co-host, and the guy that you all love, listeners, he loves this company. He's good friends with the owner, Aaron, and uh, he swears by them. If you want to get behind NDO Sups, go to www.ndosupps.com and use ADVF Radio for 10% off when you purchase. And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by AdventureFit Travel. A tr- Again, I always stuff up my own company. This uh, podcast brought to you by Adventure Fit Travel. Adventure Fit Travel is a tr- an adventure travel company for the fitness community. So, our Bali trip tickets have just finished selling, but we have a couple of spots left on our CrossFit Games trip for July this year. So, don't miss out on that. Last year, it was a it was a, a ball. We had an awesome time. And we've got Everest Base Camp. So get excited about Everest and the Kumbu region by listening to this podcast. And then get online and book with, uh, with Adventure Fit Travel for your Everest Base Camp trip. All right, that's it from me. I now introduce you guys to Gelo, the man, Gerardo Lopez. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it! Yo!
1: Discovery roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from?
0: Some kind never even considered for mass production.
1: Too weird to live, too rare to die.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to Adventure Radio. We're sitting here with Gerardo Lopez. He's an Everest climber, an adventurer, and a worldwide traveller. I've got Mac on my left. Hello. And Tommy on my right. Huh. We'll uh, we'll throw it over to the G-Lo shortly, but before we do, as usual, Tommy's got his uh, tribute.
1: Okay. Um, now, like all of the other ones, I haven't really practiced, practiced this a lot, but uh, see so yeah, how you go, mate. It's um in mecano style. <laughs> <laughs> Senor Lopez, mijo Mexico. If he didn't shave his hair, this man would have a fro. He's a mountaineering, pioneering, climbing hombre. When I wrote this song, I couldn't find another word that rhymed with hombre. He's been to the top of Mount Everest. And for that I am envious (laughs) He's been around the world I have milk in my fridge that's cold. <laughs> Basically I am rambling, and the only way I can better this man is if I get into the gambling. Senor Lopez, Mijo Mexico. I'm looking forward to chatting to you, you pleasant taco. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you wanna talk to my taco? <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Alrighty. So, Gerardo Lopez, uh, Mac, do you want to try and pronounce? Uh, Jello. G-Lo. Very good. Jello. Yeah, yeah. So, we're going uh, to use Jello for, uh, <laughs> for the guys that can't roll their R's. Jello. And, uh, yeah, welcome to Adventure Radio. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having me. Mm. It's great to have you here. So, we want to talk to you about, um, <coughs> firstly, probably um, Mount Everest and, uh, and all your, your climbing background. Yeah. So um, So, tell us, let's start off with... So you've climbed Mount Everest. Let's start off with training. What do you do firstly for your preparation as in where do you start with other mountains you've climbed, courses you need to do? Where does someone go if they want to climb Mount Everest?
2: Yeah, um, actually growing up in Mexico, um, I had a big advantage. You know, um, Mexico City is 2,000 meters over sea level already. And most of the mountains around Mexico City are in the range between 5,000 to 5,700 meters. That was my backyard. So I started climbing when I was 12. Um, I didn't like any other sports. I didn't like soccer or uh, basketball or anything like that. Um, I was very lazy, and the they had the sport that it was once a month, and I said, "Dude, that's for me. Yeah. I want to do it once a month." And with time, I just the, the love for the mountain grew on me, and and I was instead of going every month, I was going every weekend. And every long weekend, it was sort of my yep. my my place to go. Um, with time, I started to to sort of build um, this skill, technique, and endurance for for big climbs. Um, most of the climbs in Mexico are one day, but I will extend them into three days, four mm-hmm. days. Just do different things. Different um, routes
0: on the on the on the mountain. On the mountains, yep.
2: yeah. And with time, um, when I was eighteen. A um, friend and I, we got a sponsorship to go to um, Argentina. So we, we went and climbed Mount Aconcagua, And awesome. that was sort of that opened the world to me. Um, and from there, we just started traveling the world. We, uh, we went to Africa. We went to the Himalayas. We went back to um, South America. We went to Europe. We went to, um, sorry, to North America as well. So there was a lot, of, a lot of climbing happening. And we were just getting better and better at it.
0: So, Aconcagua was one that uh, actually interests me. I had a friend that, uh, that James Rainey, put me onto it a year or so ago. So that's a, for people that are listening, that's a relatively non-technical, seven thousand plus meter climb. Is that what how y- what you would call it?
2: It, it? it could be a non. It could definitely be a non-technical. So the first time I've climbed Aconcagua seven times. The first yeah. time that I climbed it, it was uh, a the non-technical route, which mm-hmm. is called the uh, the normal route, and all the other times I've climbed it through the uh, polished glacier which actually is a very technical route. Yes. Um, it's very steep. It's a big wall of ice. It's th- a thousand meters. Uh, wall. Wow. Um, which is amazing. It's, it's, it's a great climb. Um, and it just sort of build build that adi- additional profile and skills that you need to, to go and attempt something like um, the Himalayas. Right. And you did that when you were 18? Uh, I did the normal route when I was 18. Right. I, 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 I uh, attempted the other route um, when I was 20, 21 yep. and successfully climbed that one. And then with time, I was bringing actually people, just people that, I, I wasn't running a company, just people would come to me and say, hey, we want to go climb. All go like, right, let's weekend, go yeah. to Okokawa. Yep. Because I knew I knew the mountain very well. Yeah. And I, I knew it was a, a good challenge for anybody who wanted to really get into
0: uh, the high altitudes. So this is on the classic route, the the normal route or on the more difficult route? I'll
2: take it in the more difficult route. Right. And the good thing about the, the, the more difficult route <laughs> is at some point, um, in Camp Two, you can decide whether you keep going through the through the glacier, or you can divert or traverse into the uh, into the normal route, mm-hmm. and you can assess your, your the people climbing with you. If they're not good enough, then you just traverse and then just do the uh, the normal route. Gotcha. So always give me that flexibility.
3: And was uh, was Everest always your uh, <laughs> always
2: end goal or start goal or? I think for anybody that climbs, uh, Everest is always on the back of your mind. Yeah. Um, you always have this thing saying, I one day I would love to. Um, it's not a thing that you're always going to do it. Um, I had a very good friend. I still have a very good friend. Um, he climbed Everest in 1999. Uh, he became the sixth Mexican to climbing Everest. Mm-hmm. We were very close, very good friend. He became a hero mm. uh, the day that he climbed Everest. And up to today, he is my hero. Um, and when he climbed Everest, um, I sort of realized that it's actually, it was doable. It's achievable for it, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He opened the world for me. And 10 years after I was there, climbing he attempted three times i was very lucky that i did not one go. Right. really
3: wow yeah.
0: that's awesome
3: and you're the 23rd mexican 26 26 to
1: 26. have yeah, right. ever lived that's great huh Two have ever lived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hey, pl- about 26 million in Mexico City, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, 20, I, just, yeah, I just went there and there were definitely more people I've just trying to get off <laughs> the really bad joke here. <laughs> so, you, uh, so
3: you went once, attempted uh, once, summited once. How many people were in your
2: group and out of that group did all of them summit or was there some dramas along the way? Oh, there's, there's always dramas. You know, it's, it's, it's Everest. Um, so I climbed in 2009 um, in two thousand and nine, there was a big avalanche on mm-hmm. um, the, Com- the Kumbu icefall, just like mm-hmm. we recently have uh, yep. uh, last year. Exactly the same. We were very lucky. There was only very few people on the um, on the icefall. Unfortunately, all Sherpas. So there was there were two people that died. Right, there anyway. wasn't a big wow. fuss about it because they were Sherpas, mm. which is very unfortunate. Mm. The way that it happens on Everest. That really changed the dynamics of the mountain. At that point, you normally have between maybe 700 to 1,000 climbers going for it. Mm. That changed the whole dynamic of that year. Yeah. And that year, only about 200 people went for it. Um, and from those 200, I don't know, maybe 100 made it to the summit. In my team, um, I actually went with a Canadian uh, team. I wasn't planning really to climb Everest um, until one day I received a call from, uh, from a Canadian team saying, hey, we hear about you. You're good at this. Do you wanna you want to climb? Right. So I'm they gonna, target you. Yeah. Why would they do that? Does that make their
3: stats look better? Uh, so they've got X amount of people, like 100% pass rate to the summit? or?
2: I, I, I don't think that's the case because it wasn't a fully commercial expedition yeah. in, in the full, full extent of the, of the world. Um, you don't have a personal share You could have if you decided so, uh, mm-hmm. But they put a lot of reliance on the people that they have in their team. Mm-hmm. So, they have good climbers. Yeah, right. that they know they're all going to be pushing for the same objective. They're all going to be working together. And they have sort of the same level of, of, yeah. of skill set. Um, so, it, the reason why they targeted me is because in 2007, I, ch- I climbed Mount Choyu, which is the sixth highest mountain mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and in that team, I met uh, some people from Canada. Yep. And these people were planning to do Everest in 2009. So they were talking to the organizers of, of the trip and said, you should get this guy on board. Um, I really wasn't really planning. I have sort of already told my family, it's like, I'm not going to be doing crazy stuff anymore. I'm <laughs> fitting <laughs> on all this stuff. So have um, you
0: got, at this stage, have you got wife and kids or, or no. just a partner? Or, or no. just your mummy? So I'm your family is in your immediate family? Exactly. Okay. And what were the, what were the initial... Well, they've obviously, you were climbing from a young age, but when you started to trek in the Himalayas and do all these more technical climbs, what was their, what was their viewpoint? Was it hard? Uh, I guess for my mom, obviously, it's very hard um, because she doesn't
2: understand mountains. My dad, he was a climber growing up in Mexico. Not not a big climber, but he knows mountains in Mexico. So it wasn't such a big uh, thing for my daddy. Actually, he was very proud of what I was going to do One of the things that I did going into Everest is I invited my dad to come to um, base camp Mm -hmm. uh, towards the end of the trip. I didn't know exactly when I was going to make it. I didn't want him to be there for the three months or Mm -hmm. two and a half months that we're going to be there. So I said, just come towards the end of the trip. I'm thinking that I will be summiting one of these days. She should come. That got
0: him very excited. So my mom didn't have an option, really. That's to let us go. Smart. (laughs) (laughs) So when you are are on your way through the climb, so you'll go and do... um, you'll go from camp one to camp two and then back down to acclimatize better. And that's what you were doing when, you, when your father came? Had you been up at a higher camp and then you came down to visit your dad before the summit? Is that, was that what you
2: did? Um, that was my intention. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing is um, on my climb, on Everest climb, we got delayed um, because of weather. So I actually spent an extra night in camp four, which was very, very, very hard. Um, and on the way back, the whole plan was to, to go back from um, camp four um to camp two retrieve sorry from the summit all the way to camp two or at least camp three we had to spend an extra night in camp four that sort of brought a lot of delays um Mm -hmm. so my dad um arrived in base camp on the 20th of may i had summited on the 19th of may but in the in going from 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 the trek in the last part of the trek there's not a lot of communication so he didn't know when he arrived on base camp the first thing that he heard that it was that I had summited.
0: Okay, that's got to be a good feeling for your dad. Oh, he, yeah. was,
2: he was over the moon. He was over the moon and he knew by, that, by then that I was uh, on my way back to camp too, so I was a little bit safer. Mm. Than so it was I, I just
3: focus. got goosebumps when you said you summited. Tell me, <laughs>
2: describe the feeling being on top of the world. To me, it's not being on the top of the world. And let me explain why. Because um, when... Before I left for for Everest, at that time in my life, I was living in Los Angeles. So I had to um, fly to Mexico for a few days to say goodbye to my family. And I spent a lot of time with my friend. I had climbed Everest before. And one thing that I remember from that conversation, we spent a lot of hours uh, just talking about what was going to happen. he said, once you clear um, uh, the Hillary step, Mm. you're going to make it. Mm. And when I clear the Hillary step, I... I just couldn't contain myself. I was so happy. I was crying. I was like, "I'm gonna be an Everest I cannot so,
0: believe. This is kind of akin to like the last, the last half of a football game. That it's the scores six-one, or in a in a World Cup, you know that this is the the part that you really need a savior. Yeah, that's really that's cool. This I'll, is the
2: time that you. But but at the same time, you know that you know you're gonna make it. You yeah. know that it's all in you now. It only depends on you. Not, the mountain has allowed you to now climb. Um, the weather is on your side because you can tell you're about 40, 45 minutes an hour from the summit. Mm -hmm. Nothing is going to stop you. It's you and it only only depends on you. And then, there's a point in the climb once you're coming from the the exit of the Hillary Step into the summit when you finally see the summit Mm. and the summit is still like maybe 40 meters away from you. Mm -hmm. That was a point for me. It wasn't the summit. It was Mm. a point that I could see the summit because I knew it was not going to be anything that was going to stop me. It wow. was one step in front of the other, and I was going to be a never That At that point, was like, I just melted, melted completely. And yeah, so how, right. how, so you're standing on the top of the world, and
3: uh, you're there trying to sink it in. And how long do they give you at the top for everything to soak in, and you to reflect and hug your teammates and be at one with yourself?
2: Yeah, so the, the difference with this expedition is, is not an expedition that we have a guide mm. um, leading the expedition. When we set up from from camp four up and most of the expedition, um, we are on our own pace. We mm. are not a commercial expedition in the sense. That's what I'm meaning. But by not being a commercial expedition, you sort of yes, you have you have a a, a, a manager, a base camp manager that sort of manages the expedition and says, "I'm expecting you to get to this front for this point in this amount of time." But is is once you set up from camp four, yeah, you're on your own, and and you set up and then you go. So there's no nobody tell you you have 45 minutes, you have X oh, amount right. of time.
0: So there's no real, there's nobody who has the call with the, the cutoff time and the turnaround point and stuff. This is all experienced climbers and you're just rendezvousing with your base camp manager and then you're off and away. Correct,
2: correct. Really? So so I spent, I spent 45 minutes on the summit. Yeah. Um, one of the things that happened to me on the way to the summit, on the south summit, my oxygen mask broke. Mm. Um, so I wasn't really... Um, breathing or, or taking any oxygen oh. so at that point when my oxygen mass broke and it wasn't working i had two options either go back nope. or go for the summit without oxygen yeah so i climbed without oxygen got <sighs> to the summit without oxygen and came back without oxygen wow um which and then stayed two nights in camp <laughs> four without uh, oxygen we haven't spent the night before and then spend that night in camp four
1: right so uh, hang on so you you lived without oxygen yeah how how do you do that I, I don't know Supplemental Supplemental, supplemental. He's, he's, sure. still, he's still breathing Yeah air, But with
3: little He held littler. his breath for 72 hours Yeah, well, yeah that's, well, us.
1: that's us
0: I think. Are you dead? <laughs> so, <I think laughs> yes. Tommy, sorry, well, sorry. Tommy's yeah. question was: <laughs> he was thinking that you were walking up Everest like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so the oxygen's thin. So the, yeah. the thinner he's breathing thinner oxygen. Am I correct? So you have that? less. So oxygen. You're, your don't have oxygen. oxygen.
2: You're basically on the on the top of Everest. So you have a third of the oxygen yeah. that we normally have here. Yeah. When you when you have supplemental oxygen with you, when you carry supplemental oxygen, you basically allow your body to to breathe more. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe half, maybe a little bit more. It really depends because you need to regulate um, that oxygen. When I lost the the my oxygen mask and I stopped working, I basically I was dead, <laughs> almost dead. Yeah, yeah. And and you can feel it. Your body your your body temperature starts dropping very very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you you just start you're losing any, any sensibility in your toes and mm. your fingers. And and really, um, everything changes very dramatic. Your brain starts underperforming. So everything is very slow. It's like a dream. You yep. know, it's like you're in a dream on the clouds and you're just <laughs> dancing Quite there. Quite nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Can
0: That's I ask, w- Since uh, at which point of the climb did you start using the supplemental oxygen? And is there is there a risk involved in... Just dropping the supplemental oxygen and going for it, or had you been pretty attuned to it and it had only been?
2: We, I started using oxygen from uh, Camp Four. Okay. So as soon as I arrived to Camp Four, especially because we spent an extra night mm. in Camp Four, I was using um, um, the the um, supplemental oxygen at a rate of ha- a half a liter uh, per hour mm. when I started Is the that climb. A
3: lot? For someone that doesn't know much, that's about not a lot. Okay. That's yeah.
2: just that's just enough. To keep you warm and to keep you, yep. because you're not moving. So you don't need a lot of oxygen. So half a liter, it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. When I started moving, I was going to 1.5, okay. um, which that meant that I needed three tanks to make it up and down. Each tank has about 12, so you have about six hours. So you had really, in total, you have about 18 hours to complete the, c- the climb from uh, Camp 4. But I I used one, one and a bit, mm. and that was it because I couldn't use the rest because I, yeah. I didn't have an oxygen mask to, to continue. You feel the drop right away, and the implications of that is you can develop um, um, acute mountain sickness very quickly, yeah. or brain edema, lung mm. edema, or um, frostbites very quickly. Uh, and the biggest risk, which I think is, is, is very applicable to me, is you lose a lot of... Uh, because when you have oxygen on your body, you start losing all your cells very mm. quickly. Cells are water, so you're releasing a lot of water. You're, you're releasing a lot of life in your, in your body. But the brain um, cells are the only ones that you never recoup. Mm. And basically, mm. you're going through a very exacerbated um, a brain damage very quickly yeah. because mm. there's nothing for your brain Can to Can you borrow off.
3: Uh, oxygen off your mates that you're climbing with?
2: One of the one of the decisions that I that I took when I climbed Everest was that I wasn't going to be climbing with mates. I was going to go with people that they were professional uh, climbers, but they were not my friends because I didn't want to have this responsibility with me of um, we going. And then something happens to them, and I'm trying to do something for them. Yeah,
3: yeah, I, I get I get what you mean there, but I, I was talking more about your your other climbing buddies. You're um, at, so you're at the top, you've got 45. Well, you've 45 minutes by yourself up there with your team, and you're going a little bit starry-eyed. Can you go, hey Joe?
1: <laughs> can can I, I plug in? Chuck us, us, us some air. Can yeah. you can you charge hey, I'm, me up? Or I me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: You definitely can. You definitely can. But um, I didn't do it. I was feeling. I was feeling.
0: I was feeling fine. That's because uh, so you were hot. So <laughs> you weren't, you weren't, you weren't, just because really I was nervous. on something. No drugs. Yeah, that's a big sign there. Yeah. When you had the malfunction with your oxygen tank, were you, were you nervous? What was running through your mind at the time, or were you pretty calm and <laughs> under control?
2: I was pretty calm. I was under control. I was in a situation where I said, I can turn back um, and, you know, I'll, I'll surely be okay because I'm dropping altitude. So that's going to help uh, my body. Um, recoup very quickly so I'm not going to run into any issues of the um, email. so the tank
0: ac- the tank was on the way down the malfunction
2: no the, the, the malfunction was on the way up yes from the south summit yes so you're still
0: about um, 200 meters from the summit but That's it's sure. the hardest part and this is so this is above 8,000 meters basically this is above 8,000 meters sea level or I've got the stats written down here yep. or 26,000 feet yep. for American listeners so pretty much Right, so what do they call the death zone seven thousand meters that's where things start to really fall apart quickly
2: that's from seven, uh, from eight thousand meters 8, 000, So, so yes. seven thousand nine hundred so that's about two, no twenty four thousand uh feet and Three where's
1: where's Hillary step the hillary step is just above just um, above that just
2: above the south summit so okay. when i when I lost my, my so what was north. that
1: that middle ground for you like but when you got past that death zone area before the hillary step where you knew you were going to make it were you getting a bit worried there or you <sighs> It is, it
2: is like climbing. I, I can describe it as that because you're climbing in the middle of the night. Mm. So I started at 9 p.m. the night before. Um, so it is like climbing in the moon. Um, complete darkness. Um, because the last part of Everest is a rock formation with a little bit of ice, but mainly rock. But you're wearing your crampons. Mm. Um, the only thing that you get to see is when you... Get your grandpa in, and it's a rocket. The sparks come out. You you get those mm. lights. Other than that, you just see the lights of your um, mates in front of you. And you're mm. just breathing inside of your um, oxygen mask. So it's like, it has you, to be it? like literally an, astron- mm. an astronaut, you know? Like Darth Vader.
1: Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, has, has, yeah. Well, <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> that, like that too. But or it- like Bane from Batman. So. Of which everyone knows I have impression. <laughs> yeah.
3: <the> <laughs> So you've got 45 minutes at the top of Everest uh, that's unplanned. So uh, you just chose 45 minutes. You're there. You've got um, minimal oxygen because your oxygen mask is broken. Describe what it feels like to be at the top. And did you spend most of that time by yourself just taking it all in? Or were you with your teammates that you've shared the last couple of months with or the the whole journey with? um, And just describe the feeling, what it's
2: like um as soon as i got to the summit the first thing that i did is i sat down on the summit and i didn't want to move because um it was my summit yeah it was my my thing um i i I was first of all i was going through all the hardship i was going through all the mountains that i have climbed all the all the hard times of training sacrifices finally getting there so you just basically go through all of that and you say it was worth it. Every single part of it was, um, and then um, and then you start sort of thinking about the fact that um, and this is an idea that came to my mind: is there's nobody that by their own effort is as high as I am. Nobody in the world, yeah. and we're billions of people. And it was it was it was just me, yeah. you know, standing there. I spent a lot of time on my own. Uh, you really don't don't communicate a lot with people. Um, everybody's. Everybody's having their own internal celebration. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a hug and well done, but most of it is internal. Everybody's mm. just absorbing all of that. It's a moment. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a moment of you made it, you made it, you made it. And and you are like, you're like you basically giving you, you that yeah. you made it. And you keep say, I kept saying to myself like you made, it, you, made it, you made it, you made it, you made it. You did it, you did it. Like you 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 can do anything. You know? Yeah. You can do anything. And yeah. and it's it's that moment that just changes everything and it makes everything that you've done worth it because i i don't i like i've traveled the world and i've done a lot of things but i don't come f- from a wealthy family i had a, I had to do a lot of hardship in my life to to do what i am what I, where i am when i first moved to l.a it was very hard i didn't have any friends i was a mexican in l.a which is very hard um, I was living by myself. I didn't know anybody. It was hard. It was, it was lonely. Mm. And all the hardship of doing that and then moving to London and then moving to Australia and doing all that, you know,
1: mm. pays off. Mm. Pays off. And, yeah.
2: and it's all that building in and saying, you've done it. And how long, how
3: long did the, the high last? And how has it changed you as a
2: person? I think that the, the hype last, I, I, at least on me, last for a year yeah I was I was in the top of the world you know mm. it changes you I think and, and because I was on the hype it, it changes you in in the sense that um you've done everything you know and, and it's dangerous because you've done everything and and, and the, the dream of my life has been achieved which basically makes you not realize that everybody has dreams and their dreams could be very small mm. and could be very minor and they reser- they deserve the same level of respect as climbing Everest. But you don't because you're in your hype, you're in your cloud. It's yes, Everest. Wow, everybody talks about Everest. It took, took me about a year to figure out that that wasn't the way. Mm. Um, that really, everybody has a dream. Everybody has an Everest. It's not the actual mountain. And everybody deserves the same amount, level of respect. Mm. And that's, I think, when you actually change into a better person. It wasn't the hype. Mm. The hype, it was just hype.
1: Yeah, I understand that. that that's, really, uh, that's really good. I've just got a quick um addition to what Max said and i really don't want to sound like i'm bursting the bubble or anything but i I just don't understand how how you can have all these thoughts i mean obviously you know getting to the top of the mountain is insane but you know you've got the next part i mean you're only halfway there you've got the next part and it's probably more challenging than than getting to the top is it is it bittersweet to reach in the summit
2: very good question um that's That's the most dangerous part of Everest, which is you put everything to get to the top, and everybody does no matter no matter who they are everybody puts that yes there is there is still the way back, which is still the hardest, but for that in those forty five minutes it does not matter mm. it doesn't matter you have done it, and even if the peace that you have in uh, inside of you the the you feel content with your whole life and i can I can understand why people will die and they they will die happy climbing everest. You're so content. The happiness that you feel is a happiness that you cannot describe Mm. by living this, at least for myself, living a normal life. It was something
0: very special that if I had died there, I would have died happy. Wow,
3: absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks Mm. for sharing that.
0: So, to, for the people that are listening at home that aren't so aware of what the Hillary step is, that's one of the most treacherous parts of the climb. Explain to people why that's so difficult and why it's the last frontier to pass before you're at the top.
2: Yeah, it, it is because it's this massive rock that uh, it has to be maybe four meters tall. And there's no other way to pass. You have to go through the rock. This is, there's a little bit of a nice formation on the on the side. But what that ice formation does, it, it just creates a, a wall, but a wall that leads into the end of that rock. Um, but there's nowhere to put your hands. Mm. And that's where it was very hard for Hillary and Tenzing when they arrived there. They, they knew that the summit was somewhere. You couldn't see it. You cannot see anymore. There has to be, you just see a, a hill that somewhere starts to, mm. um, the steepness starts to reduce. Mm-hmm. So he, they knew that the summit was behind it, but it's just very hard to go through it. Plus, 8,000 8,600 meters. You're not thinking straight. You're not thinking straight. And you don't For have sure. the same abilities that you normally have. You sure. can't remove your gloves and say, I'm going to try this rock. Mm. You, you're going to freeze your, your fingers so right away. So is
3: there ropes and pulleys uh, attached Sh- that you have to... You know, you can climb over, you can attach yourself to. And
2: and, and one of the situations that, ha- that now has evolved with uh, the Hillary step is there's now too many. And there's some of those ropes and pulleys that are dated 20 years ago. Oh, yeah, right. They are rotten, you know. Mm. And people either have died pulling the wrong one. Oh. People have died, uh, they have um, basically hanged themselves because um, they, there's too many ropes and then they get confused and they flip over and they just end up hanging themselves. Oh, wow. There's been, there's been they a, mark
0: the ropes, in, is there any kind of safety procedures they mark the ropes, in a, uh, inefficient or, or inactive ropes and stuff like that? It,
2: they, they normally try, every year they try to use a different color. Um, and, and you can tell because you're, you're taking one and you're going through that. The problem is, again, it's 8,600 meters. Your brain is not working. Mm. You're basically... You're basically, everything takes time. If somebody goes and asks you how much is 2 plus 2, you'll be like... Uh, four. Me, and, me and Mac four?
0: made it up to base camp. Uh, that's how we met, actually. Oh, not uh-huh. how we met, but how we became good, good buddies. That was, yeah. uh, that was about a year ago. And so we got up past 5,000 meters and we were playing games of chess every night. And <laughs> at, uh, in Namche Bazaar and at the, at the earlier points of the track, the games were sharp. There were some yeah. really good moves going on. And then towards the top, it was just... It's like, how
3: did I not see that? <laughs> yeah. You know. so Where'd it I just, that come from? Yeah. 10, minutes,
0: Ten minutes in between moves and y- your brain, you just realise you're having a really, really tough time processing... Anything like you could tell, I'm, my brain doesn't feel right, now it's was only at five thousand. That's insane. I no, definitely 8, don't need to go to Everest to do that. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> I don't know what's going on but right now. Sounds,
3: sounds silly. Why? Why don't they just cut the old
2: ropes off? Why confuse the situation? It's the same. It's the same question as to why they don't bring the bodies down? It's mm. too much effort. You, you basically anybody from the Sherpas to you to the top climbers in the world. Once you get into the dead zone, you are fighting for your life. Right. The last thing you want to do is to stop and try to do something different that is yeah. not getting to the top and get it out yeah. as soon as possible. I agree with you. I think something needs to be done, um, but nobody has said, I, I'll put my hand up my mm. for that. It's a, lo- it's a big effort. Is fair it's also enough, a bit fair of enough
0: with the bodies. The bodies, yeah. I mean, it's very hard. You don't want to disrespect the body and throw it down, and you can't really carry it down. But ropes. Yeah. A little bit yeah, of... Chop them off. Chuck uh, them in your back, though
2: you also need to remember that um everest has become very commercial yeah. um, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of like you do this you do the other and um and all the all the expeditions get together and say all right i'm putting one sherpa and 100 or 200 uh meters worth of rope and they divide the work but then there's no this of like i'll do the extra it's because it's not totally necessary exactly yeah. because if i if i do the extra are these guys going to do the extra mm-hmm. maybe not and it becomes very political extremely yeah. political and that's one of the things why um, everest is changing it has changed a lot and that's why we have all these issues now in this in the in the past years of accidents bottlenecks yeah. all this stuff
0: and a lot of fighting and a lot of politics mm. so with um with from with your trip from the start to the finish you had um you had the the oxygen mask problem and then obviously Am I correct in saying that the Kumbu icefall is the most dangerous part before the Death Zone? Um, then, obviously, Hillary Step, being just at that altitude, is going to put your body at risk. For your, you've only got a short amount of time. What was the scariest moments? Was there anything that you really had to try and control your mind? Was there any times where you were really nervous or really stressed? I think there's
2: there's there's many times. As you said, the Kumbu icefall is dangerous
0: do you want to explain that to people as well because yeah. that's a, it's a really interesting place mm-hmm. and it's i think people that are listening will be really keen to
2: yeah definitely the, the, the kumbu icefall um is is that it's an it's a it's a it's a fall an it's ice fall so mm-hmm. if it was mm-hmm. if it was water it would be a drop of a thousand meter mm-hmm. of water oh, wow. but it's not it's ice it's ice mm-hmm. that is dropping ice moves uh, because during the day it melts inside of the if the glacier during the night expands that means these blocks of ice start falling on each other the f- when you first arrive on base camp, the, the, the only thing that you c- can hear at night is just blocks of ice crushing on Oof. each other. <laughs> wow. they, you get used to it, you know, Jeez. you get used to it. But it's just it's like... It's loud too. It's loud. It's like, am I going to die? Where am I? You, you wake like up in the middle of the night. <laughs> crack, yeah, crack, like a gunshot. Crack, Yeah, And it depends how, how far it is from you. But it's, sometimes it's like, it could be like fireworks on oh, the distance. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, really, you can yeah. feel fire gone right next to you with time you get used to it and then you can that gives me up like (laughs) I (laughs) get excited yeah I like it yeah Um, but then once once you are inside of the icefall you have you have no idea if you're gonna be next one yeah you know and you see chunks of ice uh, the size of a car a trailer or a house just hanging from nothing Mm. (laughs) you know you have to go underneath the thing and you're like if this thing gives in so your heart is always pumping and yeah. you know you have to go fast. I think it's a natural reaction. You know, you have to go fast. doesn't mean yeah. that you're going to be safer by going faster, but obviously you want to spend the less
0: time yeah, on absolutely. the ice ball. So, that's so what, about the, um, what about the ladder crosses and stuff? that's yeah, I was just going to ask that. Yeah. So that's the, when you see, everybody sees the documentaries and the movies that they made on Everest. That's obviously what people think of uh, when they think of the ice ball and they think of the risks because that shit just looks insane. You know, you've got... And so how many of those, those um, ladder crosses over the crevasses. How many of those do you ha- actually go through on the... On the I mean, it's going to be different every year, I imagine, but...
2: It will be different every day. Every so day. remember, every day the icefall is crushing. So every day in the morning when you go into the icefall is going to be different. Yes. Now, my, my team, and, uh, we, we were one of the first ones because we wanted always to be on the icefall when it was still very cold. That meant we can um, avoid a lot of that change in temperature inside yeah. Yeah. and less movement of the icefall. So um, at the
3: start of the season.
2: No, so, sorry, like 4 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. Okay, in the morning, yeah. we'll leave. Yeah. A, a lot of the collapse will happen as soon as it starts getting very cold because that's when things freeze again mm-hmm. and then all the collapse and then a few hours later it stops. So that's where we were going up. That meant everything had changed. So a lot of the cases we have to take different routes. We have to um, get um, additional routes or, or ropes or get a ladder moving from here to all here. All in the dark as well, yeah. 4 a.m. Yeah. And some of, some some That's of the, an alley. In, the in the morning, in in that, that, morning is that is me. That's so good. Some of those ladders will be completely crushed, you know. Really? Yeah, because they they got destroyed.
3: Two you fixed know?
0: points and, the, and yeah okay. Or the the they they, they grab us clothes. That would be scary to see that shit. Morning, or is, your ladders are just. It is. Or no, now,
3: or you're on one side
2: and
1: the all of your, your team is on the <laughs> other <laughs> side. Like the like it goes <laughs> in his are I'm boned here.
2: One of the things that happened to me is I was well, crossing one of the ladders in one of those mornings and the other side gave in so i was the the ladder went into the cravas um we have an extra um rope um so so the ladders get get um anchored into each of the sides Mm. of the uh of the cravas but there's another one another rope that for safety that that crosses the thing so i end up hanging in a carvass um just from the rope and then trying to get to the other side what really yeah. So
0: you were crossing the ladder,
2: and the ladder and the ladder gave in <laughs> into the cross oh, No oh,
0: way! No way! uh
2: That's scary. So you're just hanging on that. So you're it's just. It's a, a bit sad. more than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you end up you end up <laughs> hanging you end up hanging cool. from, from yeah you have a clip obviously you have a safety clip into that thing oh, but you just sort of you do it home alone so like Harry go back and you go hand over hand for the rest of the you have to do that yeah What? and then you look on the you look down and it's all dark. How far is the crevasse? You can't tell. But it's black because it's Ooh. hundreds of thousands of meters, uh-huh. and you can't see the end. That's why it's so black. Have you seen a um, Shrek?
1: What? Which one? Yeah, the first movie, Shrek. Is there a crevasse? Yeah, there's a there's a big crevasse <laughs> where like they're going over the the volcano. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, The donkey. You were the donkey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That's insane. Freaking. laughs> How does it feel to be a donkey? <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know, you know, in Mexico, uh, we don't have burritos. Yeah. Um, everybody in Australia and people, some burritos people, people think that burritos is Mexican food if you go to Mexico and you ask for a burrito you get a donkey really?
0: Yeah. but I somebody will pull a
2: donkey and like this, here's your burrito sir here you
0: go Gringo <laughs> yeah, exactly. enjoy your burrito
1: I, I recently just went to Puerto Vallada and Guadalajara yeah. and I d-
0: definitely didn't get a donkey I got. I got. Two. Because we're in Puerto Vallarta, it's the most. Maybe, maybe, part of Mexico. maybe, maybe you went. That, yeah. You maybe exactly. Uh, maybe, maybe
2: you went to a gringo restaurant. Yeah. Hundred yeah,
0: yeah, percent. I am a gringo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: you're not a gringo. You're not from the US. No, that's true. Do I, you know? Um,
0: yeah. I. I. Uh, I spend a lot of time in Mexico. I've been there twice. I've been. i spent probably about ten weeks in Mexico. You speak fluent Spanish. <laughs> and uh, I don't speak fluent Spanish. I can speak a little bit of Spanish. Go on. But um, on. what? Give us something.
3: Haven't we already heard something? Yeah, yeah. Give us. A, give us a shot.
0: Hola, Haroldo, uh, ¿qué tal? ¿Cómo estás? Yeah, bien, bien. Y este is es, uh, nuestro s- tercera uh, podcast.
2: Ah, muy bien. Yes. ¿Y cuántos más?
0: Ah, uh, más. Excelente. Hace... No, no hace. Uh, Definitely quizás... scripted. <laughs> <laughs> no hace. <laughs> quizás, quizás un año más.
2: Muy bien. Me parece excelente. That's the shittest conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, all, all I heard was
0: good, very guess? good. <laughs> Muy bien. Hey, oh, how are you? Yeah, he, he did
2: very well.
3: Yeah. He asked he me about. Um,
0: well. He asked me about how am I? Um, how are you? And I just started talking about the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <I> said, oh, <laughs> how long are you gonna do it? We said we're gonna do. I said we're gonna do it one more year because <laughs> so we're done after a year. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, can't count to two. I spoke. Uh, I mean, I was in Mexico for a couple of months and I learnt very early on. So, I was getting called gringo by everybody. Hey, gringo. And, and I learned very early on, somebody told me, make sure that everybody knows that you're not a gringo. Yeah. So, I'd, I'd as soon as someone would call me gringo, i said, no, no, soy gringo, soy australiano. Which is, no, I'm not a gringo, I'm, a, I'm an Aussie. And then everyone would be like, ah, oh, australiano, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ganguru, ganguru. <laughs> and, uh, and it was awesome. But because there's quite a rivalry, and they really do, gringo is a derogatory term, really. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of people say it in a in good, you know, in good, uh, good spirits, but it's kind—it's of, a derogatory term to the Americans. So you want to make sure you want to clear it up. Hey, to walk man. around
3: with your cork hat and Aussie
0: top. <laughs>
1: cork hat, <laughs> <sleeve laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I only learned when I was there. I only learned one expression, and that was "disculpe, señor, yo quiero ir baños por favor." Does that—that's very I think it means? Yeah, that's very good. Oh, good. i'd I do need the toilet (laughs) yeah exactly very Uh, good not now you've done very well (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you know should
0: we um, while we're taking a little bit of a break from the meaty stuff you wanna head over to good the bad and the science
1: I certainly do do you wanna do you wanna give us a jingle the
0: jingle's out oh the jingle's out yeah I've had some real bad reviews on the jingles Whoa. Right. I yeah. really like. It. Okay, Look no. in the the man the science. There it is. <laughs> no, seriously, people didn't like it. Oh really? People don't. suck. It's pretty like loud and whiny jingle. It is quite a loud jingle. Anyway, let's do it. Let's do it. What do <laughs> you right. got?
1: So uh, I have firstly a quote. the uh, The good thing about the science, um, Monsieur Senor Lopez, is um, is basically we do some segments. Um, the good, maybe a current event or something that um, that's. Positively like to talk about
0: Did you say Miss Your Senior Lovers? I, I fucked up badly <laughs> there. Senior lovers. <laughs> Miss, Senor Lopez. Did Miss I... your Senor?
1: <laughs> the one thing I love about being on the show is that you always let me know when I fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks. Oh. Sorry to cut you off. That's right. Um, so this is a quote um, by George Mallory in nineteen twenty four and it's it is clear that the stake, the mountaineer, risks to lose is 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 excuse me? <laughs> One more <laughs> Just another one. It's
0: your on. <laughs> senora.
1: And uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> so, it is clear that the state the mountaineer risks to lose is a great one with him. It is a matter of life and death. To win the game, he has first to reach the mountain summit, but further, he has to descend in safety. The more difficult the way, the more numerous the dangers, the greater in his victory. Um, now, I read this and I learnt about green boots. Do you know about green boots? No. So, Green Boots, um, there's a shelter. So, Green Boots is basically this, this man that died um, on the, uh, close to the summit, I believe, or, or near the summit. Mm. And um, apparently, according to this article, about 80% of people take a rest at the shelter where Green Boots is, and it's hard to miss the person lying there. Um, so, my question was um, l- actually, let me give you a little bit of background um, about it. It's got, as though napping, the climber lies on his side under the protective shadow of an overhanging rock. Mm. He has pulled his red fleece up around his face, hiding it from view, and wrapped his arms firmly around his torso to ward off the biting wind and cold. His legs stretch into the path, forcing passersby to gingerly step over his neon green climbing boots. You're nodding your head, are you... Is that... <coughs> this is in is the movie Everest. Is it, is it? Well, is it... It, it is true, um, yeah. but it's on the
2: other side of the mountain. Uh, so that's when you're climbing from the China side, okay. um, which is called... Um, the North, the North Face. Yeah, um, that's that's where you get to see this, and it's true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my
1: question was, um, you know, are there are there many moments along the way up there that you really have that thought of, you know, just taking a step back in a moment to just sort of, you know, remember those people and Norma also put yourself in um, those boots and sort of think, Jesus, this is really real. I'm really up here, and I'm in a seriously uh, dangerous situation.
2: I guess when you guys went to base camp, when you um, coming into um, the last two days and you go through the cemetery where all mm. the chortons have mm. been erected yeah. for all the climbers that's one of those moments where you're like it's for real mm. you know all these people have died uh, climbing Everest so I'm going to do the same I'm going to put my, my, my life on the line um, and then the climb starts and you get into the routine you know everything gets into a routine you almost do the same every day whether it's you're resting or you're going up um, you can't dwell on it for too long either like, you've got
3: to acknowledge it. Yeah, you have y- to. You can't dwell on it. Otherwise, you, would, you wouldn't ever get anywhere. You wouldn't put one foot in front of the other. Uh, exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Um, but it happened to me when I was in... Um, I spent a night in Camp 3 by myself. There was no other uh, human being around me. <gasps> mm. And it was a night of... Um, were there you by yourself? Yeah. Because um, w- I was one of the first people to, to get to Camp 3. Nobody felt comfortable to spend the night. Everybody wanted to retreat to Camp 2, rest a little bit more, and then attempt... Um at at a later stage. Wow. I said I feel okay, so I'm gonna spend the night. Anybody wants to spend the night with me? And nobody <laughs> said no. So, oh, so it, like is
0: it, it not better to to descend? Um trek high, sleep low? It, it is,
2: it is. Um but I was feeling very good. Yeah. I was I was feeling very, very strong. Um and I know my body very well from climbing before. So I've been at an eight thousand before, I've been at seven thousand before. So it's seven thousand three hundred um, I've been in that altitude before. I knew I was feeling better than on the summit of Aconcagua,
0: for example. So you were weighing up the potential benefit of sleeping lower for the energy loss of actually getting down to the camp. So you were weighing it up and it was more of a positive to stay higher. Correct. Because right. the, long, the longer,
2: exactly, the longer you stay in altitude, the the faster you, your your body's degrading um, and you're losing a lot of uh, nutrients and a lot of strength. Uh, you, you're not going to recover it. No. it that, that's... To recover it, you need to go back to sea level mm. and be eating like a pig to actually get back to, to the to the level and start going in your training again. You're mm. losing muscle, you're losing everything. So, exactly right. So I was bearing sort of the the the, the balance that. between getting the night done, getting acclimatized to to the last camp before going for the summit, and then using the rest of the days in ca- in base camp to, to rest and not taking my, my so myself to that.
1: That was a personal decision you made that, to sort of stay by yourself as a, that's pretty that's pretty courageous to, to sort of what was going on in your head when you sort of finalised that decision? Um
2: <laughs> I guess I guess it was it was it was one of those moments of, you know, um you make decisions on your own and, and, and you bear the consequences of that. And I was ready, you know, I was ready to do it. But the night was hard it was dif- it was difficult um, lonely. it was cold it was lonely did you play, <laughs> did you play chess very lonely <laughs> just uh with uh, my green friend on the other side um communicating with a cannon string <laughs> <laughs> you i i you spend the night up just thinking about um what could happen mm. And nothing eventuates, but mm, that's yeah, true. there's nothing to take
0: your mind off it, it but,
2: just but you're, you're alone. There's not mm. nobody. If something happens, nobody can hear you. Nobody can do anything for you. Um, but, but that, that was a moment where I realized that you can easily die on the yep. mountain, you know, and you can never wake up the next day. Mm. And it was a, it was a, a, a moment where I th- it put my, my mind through a lot of challenges and a lot of like, um, put my put mind my in the zone and from there I knew I was ready yep. after I spent that night and the next morning I woke up and on the way down all the, all the people were coming up to spend the night in Country three and, and I was you know I'm, I'm here to climb Everest yeah. and, and it's almost like you so. needed that night yeah, yeah did,
1: did, did everyone in the group sort of have moments like that where it was like okay I'm really here and I'm, I'm ready to go now and bang
0: bearing in mind, we are. in a Yeah, I know. Here. I, was a <laughs> to, I was trying to. Let's get. Let's continue this on. Let's get through. Okay. That was a question. Of just, the, we got two more questions on uh, the good, the bad, and the. side. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm just getting so interested. By it. I know. Oh, let's, let's pick it up. Let's. What do you got? Should I move my card Uh
3: After the second one. Okay certainly will yeah,
1: yeah for cool. uh, everyone at home uh, Senor Lopez has a car so not a donkey yeah I've got a donkey <laughs> no, no, no burritos <laughs> yeah that's right uh, another one so another quote to, uh, to kick off the bad this time if you can't convince them confuse them does anybody know where that was from no, no. Harry oh, Truman from the Truman Show great right. movie strongly recommend it um Now, the current media debate... So this is actually not relating to your Everest trip. It's actually relating to your business side. Now, how do you say the business? La Tortillera? La Tortilleria. Right. You say it every time I'm going to say it. (laughs) La (laughs) Tortilleria. There we go. So the current media debate about the benefits or lack of harm of high fructose corn syrup or HFCS in our diet misses the obvious. The average American increased their consumption of high fructose corn syrup uh, from zero to over 60 pounds per, uh, per person per year. The article went on to say the goal of the corn industry is to call into question any claim of harm from consuming high fructose corn syrup and to confuse and deflect by calling their product natural corn sugar." And the article is, is very biased and it goes on to say that's like calling tobacco in cigarettes natural herbal medicine. Now, my question to you, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but that's okay. We're not mates. No, joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> You're not going <laughs> to legally prosecute me or whatever you're saying. That's right. Um, now, uh, insert business name. La I apologize for that. Uh, there would be Great amounts of corn usage, I imagine, in mm. your in your products. Um, is this something you think about? Do you use high-fructose corn syrup? And how do you go to, um, I guess, make your, your food as, as, as healthy and, and high-quality as it can be? I'm not aware of us using uh, fructose.
2: Um, basically, what we do in our products is we use corn, but corn as maize, not corn as sweet corn. Ah. So it's very different. Just for the record, uh, sweet corn, didn't exist. Um, maize, was, it comes from Mexico. All corn comes from Mexico, just like tomatoes and pineapples and chocolate and vanilla and many other things come from Mexico. Um, and when, when maize was domesticated into what it is now, um, at some point in, in its time, it was, domest- or it was changed biologically to exist as sweet corn. And it stopped being a cereal and became a vegetable. Mm. There was something in there. In Mexico, we don't consume... Uh sweet corn. It's it's a U.S. thing, and has spread around the world. So when when I go to restaurants here, or when people talk to me about corn and they bring this yellow thing that is very tender and very nice, I'm like, I've never seen this in my life. No Mexican. Yep. We don't do this. We use corn as a cereal. Um, I know. I know Sorry. Does it still look the same? No. Right.
3: Right. What, what does it What does it look like?
2: It's uh, bigger. Yeah. And the um the you still get the kernels. The kernels are bigger as right. well. And what color? Uh,
3: white. Right. And you have that with milk.
1: <laughs> 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 I was being... Well,
2: Cornflakes cool. corn actually uses maize. Yeah, they, no. u- they don't use uh, sweet corn, but yeah. yeah no, it's not. So, it but, 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 no, what but no, do you mean by cereal though? How do you, how do you eat it? Uh, it's like wheat. Wheat is a cereal. Yeah. So wheat is a cereal. Uh, rice is a cereal. Corn is a cereal. So corn, it's maize... a, a grain. It's a green, yeah. yeah. It's a green. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still confused. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm not. Let's uh, (laughs) (laughs) let's get let's get the science out. Let's get back to
1: some history. The science. (laughs) Yeah, I apologize for this. (laughs) I'm trying to. That was a tough question. The uh, it was a tough question, but you answered it very well. Um, The science. Uh, early members of the human genus had a flair for preparing sliced wild game tartare, a new study suggests. The meaty diet... (laughs) Why does that even mean? I don't know. Apparently it's a place just off the coast of South Australia. (laughs) Um, A new study suggests the meaty diet may have literally changed the face of homo evolution and enabled advances in talking and walking bills cracking me up. Um, So uh, my question is, the article goes on to say evolutionary shrinkage of bones and muscles involved in chewing affected other parts of the body. I have completely lost it here. Um,
0: (laughs) What is this? Come on. I don't know. I love the science, but what's going on here?
1: So basically, we've actually been able to find a place in history where evolution started to change and you can actually see the change in biology from that. So Mm -hmm. the article is saying... When we started to eat meat, we started to preparing it. We started to prepare it differently, and we started doing all this sort of thing. And um, the uh, it says that Homo erectus sliced up raw meat with stone tools before eating it. And we actually saw changes in the in the jawline. We sh- we saw um, changes in the in the length of the spine because we were eating differently and all this sort of stuff. My question to you guys is: What habits or processes do you think we have as modern humans now? Are are done or made that may very well change the course of our evolution in the future. And a really good example of this, guys, is um, which you can use or elaborate on is sitting at a desk for a long time of the day. You know, we're just we we don't need to be as physical. And do you think we're going to start to see that, Bill?
0: Um, sedentary lifestyle definitely is. uh, Yeah, isn't great for people. But I would say it would be more our diet going back to that high fructose corn syrup that you're talking about and the agricultural, uh, all that processed carbohydrates, I suppose, because that didn't really play a part back in uh, back in the day. I don't know enough about it, but um, I think we're de-evolving. We're getting smarter, but we're getting fatter and lazier. Physically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know enough about it to comment too much further.
1: Sure. Markham?
3: No, I agree my two points were sitting and, and diet, so just yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. What do you think about um do you think we're having sex as much as we as we used to back in back in the day, or do you think we're having more or less and how do you think that plays a part?
0: Um, again, I mean I'm not I'm not well versed enough in uh, in sex. any of this. <laughs> 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 um, Nor am I, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> but um Yeah. No, nah, there used to be a lot of polygamous um polygamous uh, groups back back in the day in Hunter Gatherer um, Hunter Gatherer tribes. Mm. And <laughs> that's me, I don't know what I'm talking about. Here. <laughs> Let's move on and go yeah. back there. Yeah. Uh... that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. Well uh, I mean there 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 was and I and I but I, I can't I can't comment really far sure. enough on yeah. that. Yeah. It's certainly interesting. Yeah. Alrighty, guys, that's part one in the books. I hope you liked. Uh, hope you liked the chat we had with Gelo. It was uh, it was a really good show. Marco, our our man who uh, who produces our shows, said that this was his favourite podcast to date. So we hope you guys all agree. Before we go, I would like to let you guys know that if you like the show, make sure you subscribe on iTunes and or give us a rating and review. It's very important for us in this early stage. Also, if you want to make sure that you're uh, you're up to date with anything that was mentioned in the show, go to our show notes page. That'll be at www.adventurefittravel.com forward slash podcast. Anything that's uh, in the show will be linked in there. And also jump on our mailing list on the website as well. That way you'll never miss out on any of the shows, any of our offers, any of our discounts, any of our blogs, any of anything we've got going on. So make sure you do that. And we'd like to thank our sponsors. So, our sponsors for this podcast, CrossFit Active... (laughs) CrossFit Active Kincumba on the central coast of New South Wales. Head to uh, www.crossfitactivekincumba.com.au slash Kincumber. Fuck me. And we're also brought to you by Loxam Solutions for all your boutique consulting and business support needs. Go to www.loxamsolutions.com.au. NDO SUPs as well. Thanks to NDO subs for sponsoring this podcast. Use ADVF radio when you purchase at www.ndosups.com. And lastly, adventure and travel. Get on board, come with us to Ever Space Camp this September. You won't be disappointed. Thanks, guys. That's it from me. Peace.